Hi, everyone. We're at episode 15. That's 30 weeks of content, but actually probably a little bit longer because I've been, you know, with tournaments and stuff like that and family and being sick. So, yeah, I can't wait for that. Um, it'll be episode 26 when we, we've done a year of podcasting. That, that'll be coming up sooner and later, probably. But amazing. Not wishing, not wishing my time away. We've got to get through a good summer of disc golf. Yeah. Um, so, Kerry, we have um, last episode, we had a great interview with Jenna Allen. And on this episode, we have Nate Sexton. So the male side of a representative of uh, Team Innova. But let's get that to Nate in just a second. Um, we've kind of decompressed or you have decompressed mainly from the tournament capital <laughs> open, although I'm sure there's still things that you're wrapping up. What else has been going on? Um, well, we're still wrapping up the TCO. Lots happens behind the scenes with that. But um, I just got back. It's uh, Monday of the May long weekend, and I was out in Alberta this weekend uh, for Celebration of Life for uh, Rudy Falkner, who's uh, a predominant original uh, from the Alberta disc golf scene, but a huge supporter of the BC disc golf scene as well. So it was uh, absolutely incredible to be surrounded by about a, 180, maybe wow. 200 people came to the, the Saturday service. And then there was about 100 people that camped the weekend. And yeah, it was just a good celebration and lots of tears and lots of laughter and some really, really cool um, uh, memorials for him too on his property. So very yeah. cool. And did you get to throw discs in celebration? I sure did. I played two rounds at uh, Aspen Meadows, one on the east side and one on the west side. Yeah. So um, the courses are looking fantastic. I can't wait to play Falcons Flight on September long weekend. Nice. That, that's very cool. Yeah. And any, anything else going on disc golf wise? Um, well, I got to shift gears and get ready to start fundraising and planning for the crush, the women's tournament yeah. here coming up in August. So yeah, August yeah. the 11th, 12th, 12th, 13th. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Very cool. Nothing. I mean, it's only been a couple of weeks, I think, since TCO now one. I don't know. It just seemed it seems so long ago. Yeah. But um, the Kamloops Disc Golf Club has started their um, handicap league night. Yeah. Um, down at Mac Island, being moved up to Rose Hill this week because of the rising water and the Thompson yeah. River. Um, so I've been playing in that, and I was actually after the first round, I shot the lowest, so I was leading the division, still nice. leading the division after second round, though I didn't shoot as well. So I'm hoping to keep that going. I'm I'm playing steady. That's good. And, you know, a little bit, you know, kind of flat, similar scores, some dips, but a few blips up, but. Um, yeah, I'm happy with the way I'm playing. Um, thanks to Andrew Classen for organizing the league. Um, Absolutely. Doing a great job and all those people at KDGC. So not too much to report on um, that I can think of. We, so uh, we had the Flight Path podcast go into effect. Our effect, our FPO the, effect. The, the FPO <laughs> Flight Path podcast effect. We did. Yes. And yeah. Um, yeah, and for those who haven't heard the podcast, basically, whenever a FPO player has appeared on the podcast, the next tournament after the release of their episode, they have gone on to podium, 
And this week, the fabulous Jennifer Allen yep. won um, with an, a, 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 I haven't seen the final round. Uh, our mutual friend, Justin said it's some of the best disc golf he's seen. It was like, every shot was like, wow, wow, wow. It is. I just watched uh, the post-production with Craig because um, well, it's not a spoiler alert. It's all over social media. Yeah. Jen opens the third round with an ace on a 345 foot hole with a turnover shot, backhand turnover shot. But the battle between the women on the card and the shots that are being thrown, like you got uh, Jen Allen, Holland Hanley, Maria Oliva, and Kat Merch. So four crushers, like, and the new course for. Beaver State Fling was the two courses um, that Milo McIver combined into a gold layout, and it's stunning. It's it's beautiful to watch, and it's a yeah. good battling. It's a good good battle. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, just um, yeah, incredible uh, by Jen as well because you know, yeah, like she. Uh, sorry, Jen, but you might even be old enough to be a couple of their <laughs> their yes. mom. You know, yes. like Cat Merch. I don't know how old she is, but she's you know, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So yeah, the um. The team in of a mom beats the kids. So uh, yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. thinking that when she beat Cat Merch, I was like, oh, that's hilarious. It's like, yeah. there's the mom. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, congratulations. And then, so that segues into um, our In the Circle with Nate Sexton. And we'll talk about Nate afterwards. So let, let's just go straight to the um, interview. So, let's go to, uh, let's go In the Circle with Nate. Today we have Nate Sexton, and I'll try to name list some of his roles, and you can add. So you're obviously an uh, MPO player, and I believe in the it could be in the Masters division now as well if you wanted to. Not quite. Not, Not quite. quite. Oh. Yeah, 20, 2025. 2025. Okay. Sorry yeah. about sorry about that. No, Aging. that's all right. That's Aging all right. you there. Just, You've been around yes. for so long. I guess it's just an assumption, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, nearly 38. I'll be turning 38 okay. in about two weeks. Cool. Um, in of a team captain um, and sometimes Jomez commentator, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Whenever I'm able. Yeah. Did I miss anything out? Um, U.S. champion. Two-time <laughs> Canadian champion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, um, but yeah, no, nothing important. No. Sorry about that. Um, That's all right. Before we get into the you know chat, um, when I told Carrie that you'd responded, she sent a scorecard to me of you playing with Wayne Kamloops, British Columbia. Yeah, twenty ten. Yeah, and that you uh, you played around with Eric McCabe and a couple of other people up here, and I think you played here a couple of times. Is that correct? It, yeah, twice I think. Yeah, twenty ten was the. I just came across the scorecard when I was going through old stuff and. Um, yeah. yeah, it was the ultra glide we had in 2010. It was a yeah. card with Christian Dietrich, Eric McCabe and Dave Felberg. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. Super fun. So yeah, for new listeners that are listening in, Kamloops has had a lot of great OG players up here. So yeah. back in the day. Yeah. Did you, what do you recall? Do you recall anything about Kamloops or the course? Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember it being fun, but the thing I remember most sadly is just all the locals locals going you should have seen it before the beatles came <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That, that's like that's like my strongest memory is just everyone was working hard but was discouraged that we were there they were doing their best and we had a great time no yeah. no there were no negatives 
But one of my strongest memories is just the look in everybody's eyes, just going, yeah, you, uh, this hole's cool, but this hole's cool, but you should have seen it. You should have seen it. You should have seen it. Like every hole we got to, which is totally understandable. It's the exact same thing I would do if my course that I was so proud of uh, went through something like that. You just want to be able to share uh, how special it was. And it was still fun. It was nice, hilly property. I, I remember having a good time and battling some wind. One time, yeah. I think Paige Pierce was there. That wasn't that yeah. time. That was later. And we played some doubles for like some money. That's right. Like a, so a skins Paige, game or something. And that was fun. I think Paige's first visit was 2011. 2011 okay. and 2013, maybe. So yeah. All right. in 2010. I can't remember. I'd have to look back. Yeah. Paige has been here quite a bit. So don't you guys have an A tier coming up? We do. May yeah. 5th, 6th, and 7th. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I was kind of threatening Thomas that I might try to come up there and, uh, Hey, him, he's but, driving. Uh, so get him to swim. Yeah, I, I, he doesn't, I don't think he wants me to go. He, <laughs> he... <laughs> well, well tell him he'll peel, tell him he'll podium. He's just not me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. He might beat me. He should beat me. He should beat me out there. It's big, big throws and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got a, we've got a technical shorter course that the pros are going to finish on. It's like a park nice. course, which, will be fun and uh we've got um kim scott wood from ontario who's oh yeah uh, older older og player too he's coming out and so he's actually i think he's rated higher than thomas right now oh yeah yeah, yeah. Well, i I, re- I played i won the under 19 junior world championship in london ontario against kim scott wood when oh we were gosh. 19 wow. when we were 18 years old that's amazing Yep. Yeah, we played together quite a bit. It's serendipitous. You should be coming, Nate. (laughs) Yeah, I I think you almost one thing out as well. Weren't you 2013 boys champion? Uh, 2003. That's what I'm saying. 2003. Yeah. 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 2003, and that, and I remember playing against Kim Scott Wood then, and then he was out on the tour for a little while. Kim Scott Wood was quite a player, and I've talked to him a little bit recently as he's kind of made his. uh, come back into the game he called me last year we had a good conversation just to kind of about you know what what i felt like was going on and because he was probably away over 10 years i would say from yeah uh, for sure for sure 10 years i haven't seen his name around for a while he's registered a couple times and had to withdraw and stuff but yeah i'm really excited that he's coming so yeah 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 definitely a good player and a nice guy yeah um and i have a question from we're sponsored by Okanagan Dish Supply, um, a local dealer here. And he wants to know the story behind the April the 1st Firebird disc. And Oh, man. Well, who, yeah. Who, that, who did that, the image? Oh, I did. You did it? Good. Oh, yeah. I tried my hardest, too. It's right there. It's on my, ref- <laughs> it's on my refrigerator. That's nice. amazing. Uh, <laughs> no, anyone, people thought my daughter drew it. Uh, they haven't seen a five-year-old draw. She's okay. But actually, I have some <laughs> of her art right here. She, she makes me these. Oh, that's, that's, that's cool. Amazing. That is. Yeah. She makes me these destroyers. Those are amazing. So, yeah. I guess it's, I guess this isn't a video show, but for no, you, but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I, it was all my idea. I, I talked to Innova a few years ago saying, Hey, wouldn't it be funny? I, I know my, my art skill is like talented fourth grader level. <laughs> and I, and I knew that like, if I try my hardest, I think it's going to like perfectly kind of toe the line between like, is this real or is this the worst thing I've ever seen? It's like, I think you, if you look at the art, you can tell that I'm not trying to make it bad. It's just bad because I'm bad. (laughs) 
<laughs> but that's Sorry. that's like that's the re- no, that's all right. That's exactly the re- that's that's the response I was hoping for. Yeah. So I asked them if I could do that sometime, and they were yeah, yeah, I don't know. And then they called me and said, hey, for the April Fools, we're thinking about going with your idea, and I was super excited. Uh, so yeah, I sat down. I, I gave it a good like. It probably took me thirty minutes. I wasn't going to go as hard as like starting over or erasing a lot of stuff but like i got my sheet of paper i sat down and i wasn't like oh if i draw it this way wouldn't that be hilariously bad i just tried <laughs> to draw off. I, I had i had like a few different years of sexton firebirds i'm looking at feathers and flames and text and i'm trying to kind of draw inspiration from that and uh yeah it was my it was my you know half hour first draft best effort which is you know i'm not i'm not it wouldn't have got a lot better either i mean i'm no. sure i could have spent two days on it but it wouldn't have got a lot better there's only so my ceiling's only so high so yeah I, w- I was really excited that they were willing to do something that goofy but yeah they they uh they did it and uh printed them up and i think a lot of people are confused which is what we were going for have some people not be able to be quite sure if it was the real stamp or if it was just a limited thing clearly yeah. it's just a limited thing hopefully everyone realizes that now Oh, people were uh, scrambling yeah. for them. So yeah. 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 I, I didn't get very many either. I only got a few, but well, uh, I put one straight in my bag just because it's funny and fun to fun to throw, fun to look at and makes me laugh. And uh, and you're going to drive people crazy that they're like collecting them and there's Nate throwing his. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure. And I just, yeah, I just think there's something funny about it. You know, it's, it's on a great, it's on a great disc. So like the quality of the product can't be questioned, but the art itself is so bad that I just... It just makes me giggle. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I'm relatively new to the game, and um, so I don't have the history that Kerry has. So that was the the idea between our podcast is we have these different perspectives. Yeah, but I don't I don't know of any other player off the top of my head that has one disc that when you say that disc, it is that player so you know yeah i don't think it i think it doesn't exist for anyone else at the moment not quite in the same way yeah like there's all kinds of like you know one that sticks out in my head is like when ken climber would win the world you'd get his eight time his nine time is yeah sure but like there's nothing that's like the nate sexton firebird like there's you know like there's no specific that people scramble to yeah, it's been yeah. a it's been a phenomenon. I, I hope yeah. it can continue to be one for a little while longer. That'd be awesome. But uh, but yeah, it's been an amazing, um, you know, career making, life changing thing for me. You did know, did you ever anticipate it? Like, did you ever think that? It no, would not not to that level. Not 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 by a long shot. I mean, I was ecstatic just to get the the call that said I was promoted to the the top team of Innova. This was 2015. And I had made my intentions kind of clear to them. And I've, I've said this before in, in interviews, but I was, uh, you know, kind of like however old I was then in 2015, you know, probably like 30 or coming up to it, 29, something like that. I'm not, I'm not trying to, this isn't a math show, is it? No, uh, no. But, but, Trust me, but, I wouldn't yeah. be here if it was. Yeah, either way, I was, I was in my late 20s or, you know, turning 30, I guess that year. And in the years before that, I was sort of like trying to decide, like, you know, I've given a lot of my time and my passion to disc golf and it's been great, but the game wasn't the same thing it is now. So it was like, you know, I was paying the rent. I was keeping my, my uh, wife and I, you know, housed and, and, you know, she was working on school. She was trying to become a doctor. So she wasn't really making any money. Uh, But I was always in sort of this perpetual state of like, well, this has been great, but. I should probably like 
grow up here and, and, you know, move on. Cause I have a college degree. I was always kind of had that in my back pocket, like, okay, I'm going to keep doing this while it's paying the bills, but you know, it's not going to, it's not going to be my career. I never yeah. really thought it was going to be my career. I always thought it's going to be a great hobby, make a little money, have awesome time. It's, it's my chief passion in life, but not my career. But yeah, then when I got that, that promotion and, and things started to kind of snowball and happen, it started to be like, wow, okay. Like, you know, this is getting more and more lucrative. This is, I'm becoming more successful. And yeah, then it, you kind of snowballed to a, a, a level that I never could have predicted or even like dared to dream for. And, and, you know, that's uh, just makes, I feel like one of the luckiest people I've ever met because, you know, maybe in another reality, you know, it was like, it would have been foolhardy to stick with disc golf as fully as I had, you know, into my thirties. Yeah. But uh, for me, it it somehow worked and it paid off and and it was the best decision I could have made because had I, you know, jumped ship and and uh, just pursued a different career, I, I certainly would not have found the level of uh, of financial success that I found uh, through disc golf. Yeah. So pretty crazy. The pandemic definitely in Canada has, I mean, seen the um, participation in disc golf just rocket. Yeah. Um, how's that? Has that affected you as a player? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it did for all of us. It was like they just couldn't keep the discs on the shelves. So I think anyone who had a disc with their name on it in 2021 had a year that they will not soon forget because the discs were just selling like crazy. They're making so many. I think we're, we've come down the other side of that peak at this point, but I still hope that we're above where we were pre-COVID. I mean, a lot of people certainly gave the game a, a try, but I was pretty shocked, you know, how many of those brand new players were finding their way to what is a little bit more of like a boutique type disc, like the Sexton Firebird is not like what you're going to find at Dick's Sporting Goods yeah. or yeah. at Walmart or something. You have to go a, a level deeper into the game to like find that kind of thing. But yeah, I think every professional who was lucky enough to be in a position to have a, a disc with their name on it uh, through that time really uh, had a good time with that because, you know, obviously COVID was a very serious problem for the world at large, but for disc golf, as, as has been stated, a lot of places, it was like, weirdly, you know, one of the biggest explosions we've ever seen in, in terms of participation and popularity of the game. Cool. Absolutely. Does it still blow your mind what your discs sell for aftermarket? Yes. Like Yes. Like I think at the most I I, th I think I saw like thirty five hundred or something for one disc at one time. Yes, like, yes. It, the the record is fifteen thousand dollars. Holy wow. crap! Yeah, pretty crazy. That that's insane. And just yeah. as a side note, that's not money for Nate, you guys. That's people buy his disc at yeah. reselling. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> every, every every once in a while, I'll catch a little slice of it, but. No, I'm not. Uh, I'm not getting paid off of uh, off of those very often because uh, I I sold all the all my rarest ones quite a while ago when they were like four hundred dollars, and I was like, no way, four hundred dollars! Like, get this yeah. out, get this out of my house, you know. But that and that's fine. I don't worry about that. How else you have one of every? <laughs> oh, oh, definitely, definitely. Okay. I I have tons. I have lots of the original. I still have lots of very valuable ones. Absolutely, okay. but okay. I got rid of the ones that were like ridiculously like the one the ones that are like oh there's only two purple ones in the world like the uh, for the stamp you know yep. yeah some that i had stamped myself years okay. ago so the, those i don't own any of um but yeah I, I i have plenty of all the other all the years and, and Sweet. 
yeah yeah i'm not uh i'm not planning on getting ready any of those i like to have those so tracking back you talked about when you became on um team team Minerva and you were promoted onto the top level now you are team captain for the the male side we spoke to we actually spoke to jennifer allen last night nice. um yeah a, a great chat and uh she was talking about her role as the female captain can you expand a little bit on your your role as uh, the men's sure captain? sure yeah yeah it's it's uh I, I would honestly like to do even more than i currently do and i i kind of try to push for that but I, I can also do a better job of that but i always like to be as involved as i can when we're talking about contracts and and making a move for a new player or trying to scout a young player that we're thinking is maybe worth uh taking a chance on because it's getting more and more that kind of climate in the sport where you kind of have to sign like literal kids to like cash value contracts at this point you, you know uh, with the talent that that some of these guys are showing at age 16 and 17 uh like again in burr type player it's it's amazing how good these guys are going to get and i don't expect that to slow down at all with other kids seeing that success of, from their peers, you know, it's only going to fuel that more. So I like to be involved with that kind of thing. And then I do a little bit of like, Oh, Hey, like communicating with the team or, or saying something like, you know, even though we don't do this enough, but once or twice a year, we try to be like, Oh, we're going to have a team get together at this tournament and everyone come to this restaurant and we can all kind of say hello to each other and, and have a little time together as team Innova. But in general, no, it's it's not it's not any kind of uh, super heavy like uh, responsibility. More just kind of being involved in discussions when they need me, offering my perspective whenever I can, and uh, and sort of being in their ear about like this guy is really really good. We we really should get a meeting with this guy because this this woman or man is really impressive the way they're playing. Are there any um, young males that Innova signed that? you excited about without putting any pressure on them? Oh man, you're putting pressure on me to remember our whole <laughs> roster. Uh, absolutely. We have some really good young players for sure. Uh, in terms of people that I'm particularly excited about. Um, I think it's, I, I don't think one stands above the rest, but I think we do have some, some good players. I got to spend some time with uh, uh, Blyer from Iceland uh, a few years ago, a young guy from Iceland. And he's, he's, uh, impressive just in that he lives in like a country with a lot of disc golf courses, but not really competition at the, at the level that he plays just a couple guys, maybe. So he's got to travel a lot, but, uh, but yeah, he's a nice kid. And, and, uh, and I hope that he can grow into be a great player and, and just European players in general. I'm really excited for us to try to get a, a better foothold there with some of the exploding markets over there, but I'm, I'm guaranteed, absolutely blowing it and leaving out somebody incredible uh <laughs> that's more local okay. to me just trying yeah. to yeah. trying to remember who to talk about but no I, there's there's tons of exciting players for sure are you going to europe this year with the tour that's the plan yeah that's yeah. the plan I, I haven't bought the ticket but uh my wife and daughter are are going to come with me i need to nice. buckle down and and do that book that travel but yeah as of now i'm registered for norway and for european open uh, I got to decide if I want to, I, I want to play both, but on the other side of that coin, it's kind of like, if we're going to go to Europe for two weeks, I don't really want to have a practice round every single day. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. With my a family bit of there. With the family and. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it would be the Norway tournament that would suffer if that's if that's what I, uh, you know, not that they're they'll be absolutely fine without me. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> the, it would be the it would be that would be the one that I would drop as the others yeah. in major. Uh, but yeah, my wife can only get so much vacation time. So we're, we're trying to decide if we want to have it be all disc golf all the time, or if we want to, um, have a little bit of time to just sort of look around and and do some stuff. My daughter might want to do, she's five years old and doesn't really want to just go to the disc golf course every day. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's pretty, uh, she goes with you a lot though. Like on your, I I follow you on social media and stuff and and everything. She would go to the disc golf course with you and. She seems yes. like pretty relaxed and chill about being there. Yeah, she used to go a lot. Now she's in kindergarten. So okay. I, I haven't got her out with me as much lately. And I would say in general, she's kind of like, ah, today, you know, she's like, yeah. sort of like doesn't yeah. want to go. But I hope that sometime she will. And she, I have pretty good success. The other day I was like, hey, can we, let's go and we'll just play five holes. That's it. And she was like, okay. And then we got there and she's like, let's play nine holes. So once she okay. once she gets out there, then she was kind of more into it. But yeah, I think sometimes the the prospect of or the idea of like committing to eighteen holes, especially in the Pacific Northwest in the winter or spring, yeah. uh, it can be tough for her. But we'll see what happens when summer comes around if she'll be a little more interested in uh, going I'm out and throwing. Going to school too now and realizing there's more than just going to the disc golf course with my dad. My- yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. Hitting that age. For There's sure. hope Did, though, right? That yeah. it, yep. didn't, it took uh, took Val how many years till so she was 16 to realize yeah, she was true. Well, true. she sat on the sidelines and read magazines while her family disc golfed. So yeah, 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 yeah. And how do you? How Did, do does you your find... wife play? What's... Oh, uh, she she used to. I would say yeah. it would be unfair to say she plays now. <laughs> she she has a lot of discs, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but no, she's very busy. Uh, um, and she also uh doesn't practice and she feels anxiety around putting to the point that it's hard for her to have a fun time playing because she's like just worried about you know airballing from 15 feet and and that that kind of thing can be tricky so i think she aspires to kind of try to be able to play uh at some other point in her life but medical school and residency and now in the very first year of of being a, a autonomous physician it's been a pretty busy last uh, 10, 10 years or so, uh, with, along with having a, our first child. So yeah. disc golf for her has uh, has not been something that she's done much of in the last few years. But you go out as a family and and throw, throw some discs? Occasionally, yeah. yeah. She she won't. She pro- neither one of them is going to play 18 holes, but they'll no. come along and they'll throw. And and my wife is pretty good. She's she definitely won some tournaments. Uh, when we were younger in the advanced division and she probably had a rating in the 850 range, 860 maybe. Um, so she would, she's, she's a quite good player when she has time to practice. Yeah. No, and the reason I mentioned that is the amount, especially the past year, the amount of families I see out on disc golf courses now in yeah. Canada, it used yeah. to be, you know, just two or three guys maybe going out um, or, well, I, I guess I've been playing that long, but it would be just a disc golf, as we got and now there'll be a family with grandparents and kids nah, yeah it's, it's incredible it's yeah. really cool to see you started with your family didn't you Nate yes I did yes um, uh, with my my dad and my stepmom and my brother primarily 
yeah, we played ultimate first and then they put a course in the same park where we were playing ultimate. So when we started playing disc golf a little bit more formally at that point, we already would like play object golf with ultimate discs on camping trips and stuff like as far back as I can remember. But yeah, then we started playing disc golf uh, around 2000 or so. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, started going to tournaments in 2001 and yeah, I just kind of kept getting better and kept, uh, you know, kept at it, kept the competition was fun. And as I kept kind of climbing that ladder, it kept getting more and more fun until ultimately had a few lucky moments in my life where I get to stand on top of the mountain for a few minutes and, and actually, you know, have the trophy at, at a top tournament in the world. Amazing. I think your stepmom came to a tournament in Kamloops, the international. I believe that's true. 2006. Yeah. I do. I believe that's true. I remember them driving up. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. So she was here before you were. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> and um, how do you find being on the road? Like I know um, when you won the USDGC, you had your family with you. And I just remember that moment. I think it stands out more than me. Your interview or anything where you grab Coraline and you're yeah. so and it was like huge. How do you balance having your family on the road with you? Like, did have have they come with you before? Like when you're out on, or was that kind of like the last time they were on the road with you? Yeah, that was kind of the only time. Yeah, and that was awesome. It was probably about a year and a half. Uh when when Coraline was three months old, we bought the RV and we and we headed out. Yeah. Um, and my wife was taking a year off of medical school. Uh, as a new mom so yeah that that was uh probably the best disc golf I ever played because it was like you know we were driving around in the RV that we had bought and I remember always thinking like well this is so much easier because I don't have the pull of like wanting to go home I'm already home because my family's here with me so I can just play I can go out I can get to the tournament eight days early I can go and play only nine holes in a day and it isn't like a a wasted day and I can still go and enjoy time with them yeah. It's way harder now, you know, like flying to tournaments. Like once I get there, obviously it's fun and I, I like competing, but it's a, it, there's a lot of uh, competing factors now. Like I went to, I just went to Texas for two weeks and I had a good time uh, and did my Jomez thing and played. And I had a reasonably successful trip, something like a ninth place and a 25th place or something like you cashed both, it was right? okay yeah definitely cashed both. Yeah, I got the cash, I, the cash I got the streak right? is alive yeah the streak is alive yeah. and well but um but yeah you know that was um two straight weeks out it, you know it was enough to where when I got back I was like well I'm definitely dropping out in Nashville because I'm not trying to go back out in 10 days after yeah. so that's hard because it is my job you know on the one hand yeah. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, you know, Innova has been really understanding, um, with me and kind of the evolution of my career and my life and, and how full-time or not full-time I'm on the road. It just isn't possible now. You know, there's no way I could be out there, uh, five, six weeks straight with my wife working, you know, 10, 12 hour days, and, you know, my daughter in school, it's just like, and it's, it's a, it's a really cool age you don't want to miss a lot like absolutely and like they're becoming little humans sassy smart like yeah there's so much happening that six weeks away really you could miss something big I know it's crazy yeah I was I think I I was looking at that just kind of doing the math when I was in Texas just for those two weeks and I was going that's like nearly one percent of her life two weeks that sounds like way too much like one percent holy cow that's kind of a lot um, so yeah, you know, I, I have that, I certainly, obviously family is important to me, important to everybody. 
Um, and and my wife is just like such a in a in a such a stressful and demanding career that like by the end of two weeks, I'm calling them on FaceTime and I can just sort of like sense the that oh. I'm reaching the end of their tolerance for being just, you know, like yeah. it just can't, they can't, they can't do it just by themselves. Exactly. So, so it's like, then it starts to be like, well, what that, what am I even, I'm in 25th place. Like, what am I even doing here? Like if I was winning, yeah. that's one thing, but like, I'm having fun. I'm trying my best, but yeah, it's not, you know, I would love to win another tournament. Do I expect to win another tournament? Probably not, you know, not with, you- not in the, are you holding out for 40? <laughs> yeah, i certainly, I'm never quitting. Like, I'm not okay. quitting. I'll be playing for sure. But um, but Are yeah, my confusing? my practice is not what it once was. My uh, my desire to go to the field and, and rip for distance, my desire to putt in the backyard, you know, I, I do, I force myself to do those things. But I, there used to be a time where I didn't, I didn't, I didn't force myself to do them. I just did them because I was like hungry to get better. And I felt like I was one of the best players in the world. And I was, Uh, and I'm still a good player. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not, I'm not saying that I don't believe I could win. I'm just, I've always been a realist. I've never been someone who like comes into the tournament, like I'm going to win this and I'm the man. I've always been like, I'm just going to take it one shot at a time. See how well I play. That keeps the pressure off me. I don't like the bravado of like, I'm so great and I'm going to beat everybody. That's and never been my style. It works for you though. Like slow and steady wins the race. Like sometimes we'll watch it. Right. We'll just like, Oh my God, Nate's in the top 15. He's in the top 10. Like what's he yeah. doing different from everybody else? And you're just out there just slowly grinding away yeah. in your thing. And it works. It's kept you in the cash for how many years? Like a lot of years, like over 15 years straight. I think yeah. it's some, somewhere, in, somewhere in the mid 200 tournaments in a row so something i'm very proud of um but also you know i've told some people this lately too it's it's something that kind of well i will fight tooth and nail to keep the cash streak alive when it does end i feel like it will be lift a little weight off me because i you know in some ways i feel paralyzed to make significant changes to my game and i kind of want to like i kind of want to like put a spin putt and get more aggressive but i feel like man it's like wouldn't that be kind of a bummer to like try to implement a new style and then like take 60th. And so there's some, there's a small part of me that's like, yeah, you know, I'm going to fight my hardest. I'm going to try to keep cashing forever. Who knows how long it'll last. Uh, it's lasted a long time now. And it's, it's certainly one of the proudest accomplishments of my career. But when I do miss it, I feel like it will kind of open the door a little bit for me be like, well, you know what? It's not, I have nothing to protect now. I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to, uh, play as aggressive or as you know as aggressive as i can stomach as aggressive as feels yep. fun to me perfect so and go ahead go, go ahead Clive. i say so with family commitments and getting a little bit older and all those younger players coming in now i'm um what tournaments do you have do you have any tournaments penciled in for the rest of the year oh absolutely yeah i'm registered for lots of tournaments okay. um yeah i'm uh i try to play I would guess I play roughly half of the tournaments at the elite level. That's kind of my, my goal. I can, I can usually get lately. It seems these last few years, I can maybe play between about 10 and 15 tournaments in a year. Uh, And I try to find situations where I can do those back to backs and sort of get two of them in, in like, for 12 or 13 yeah. days potentially um, to, n- to not have to get on a plane a whole nother time for another tournament kind of, but uh, yeah, absolutely. I have lots more planned. I'm going to play. I'm not playing in the champions cup because I'm 
afraid of that course and I always have been. So I'm not trying to go there. Uh, it's always been a, it's a fun course. I wish I had it near me and I could practice it because it is a well done course at WR Jackson at the PDGA, but I've never played well there. I don't think it suits my game and I'm not tempted by them putting a major next to it at this point in my uh, career. I don't feel, <laughs> I don't feel obligated to go there, uh, but I wish everyone luck and I'll, I look forward to watching it. I'm just bad at that course. And that's, I've proven that to myself a number of times. Yeah. Um, so I'm not playing there. But I will play at OTB Open in California. I'll play at Portland Open in Oregon, probably Beaver State Fling also in Portland area. Uh, I plan to play Europe. I plan to play uh, the Preserve in Minnesota. I plan to play the Ledgestone. I plan to play the USDGC. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else. But yeah, so probably something else too. I'm probably forgetting one. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely worlds. Yeah. yeah, sorry. That's what I was forgetting. Yeah, definitely worlds, always worlds. Worlds and USDGC are basically the only absolute musts for me at this point. I would like definitely have to definitely feel I have to play those. And then I've, I usually am going to play the West Coast swing as well because it's a little easier for me yeah. travel wise. Yeah. And so, then other than that, I'm sort of just trying to play the tournaments that I like. Uh, and I feel that I have a, a shot to compete at, you know, that's kind of my motivator at this point. And then when I'm not playing, I try my best to be able to work out um, commentating live for disc golf network as they have the studio at the DOS's house in Bend, which is only about two and a half hours drive from me. So that's really convenient uh, I'm not really interested at this stage of my career in traveling to do commentary, like on a plane, because if I'm going to get on a plane, I should just go and play the tournament. That's kind of my chief responsibility. So if, if I was going to go travel, I would play, but, uh, but yeah, with that option of driving and doing commentary in Oregon, uh, that's something I'll be doing that for Jonesboro coming up here at the end of the month. I'll be on the, on the call for that event. Is there a type of course that you like to play more than others? Do you like the uh, open course or the treed? Um, I like all, all those varieties. I think for me at this point, um, I am looking for something that is not solely uh, and solely is too strong a word, but I need something that like 550 foot distance is not like required to score. Yeah. And I'm not, and I have no problem with that course design strategy. Like, I'm not trying to say that that's wrong, that some courses are that long. They are, and that's okay. And there's players that absolutely are a thrill to watch and take advantage of every bit of that distance. But I'm not trying to play a course where I try to throw my hardest and just take a lot of pars. That's not fun. Cause I'm only, I'm throwing like 500 on a great throw. Uh, but I'm not consistently over 500 uh, off the tee. So I'm looking for something that has, if it has a lot of distance then I need it to have a lot of out of bounds because then that's sort of the, you know, the check and balance yeah. against just oh, pure distance. There needs to be an opportunity for a risk and reward and something like the USDGC where placement uh, at 380 can score. And if you, if you stay in bounds and you make your putts and you, and you throw your good shots, you know, so that's the kind of course that I prioritize. Um, but you know, any, any course will do. I, I try not to get too hung up on it. And I just try to tell myself, everyone's got to play the same course. So I'm not that worried about like whether or not I love a course uh, because I do try to say, well, this is my job. And you know, it's not, a, it's not, I'm not here for fun. Exactly. I hope to have fun, but yeah. if I don't like the course, I'm not going to try to cry about it too much. I'm going to try to, you know, obviously offer criticism and, and uh, 
thoughts if someone wants them or if I'm sort of obligated to give them through the vehicle of Jomez or something where they want people want to hear opinions. But uh, at the end of the day, that's not my chief concern is, is whether a course is fun or, or whatever. And do you think that just kind of, like I think about Katrina Allen's made this comment a couple of times too, where she's like, I'm not worried. I come out and I play the same course everyone else plays. And, you know, I, I figure out a game plan and it is what it is. And, you know, same thing. She said, if someone wants my feedback, I'll give it. You think that takes some stress off of you when you're playing too, where you're not like, oh, I hate this whole, oh, I don't like being at this course. Like Yes, yes. And it, but it's a, it's an easy trap to fall into. And I've fallen into it many times where you get, okay. get frustrated, play bad, like at WR Jackson. I've had some of the lowest moments of my career from a, like a professionalism and, and sort of regret standpoint where I'm going, ah, this place is so, you know, this is so stupid or, you know, and I, I try to carry myself pretty well. So, you know, that's something that's important to me. So I don't want to be in front of fans pouting or, you know, obviously being a professional disc golfer is one of the, a successful professional disc golfer is one of the luckier, crazier jobs that could ever be conceived of, you know? So I don't want to be seen to be, you know, crying and whining my way through this super, super fortunate life that I'm living. So I try to, keep that under wraps as much as possible. And I do agree that if you are able to have that Katrina type mindset, and I do strive for that, it will help you play better disc golf because it's, it's easy to fall into that. Like, woe is me. This is so stupid. This course is so long. What am I even doing here? And then you just aren't focusing on the task at hand. You're yeah. kind of surrendering to your situation and you're going to obviously, you know, not really play like locked in it's good a disc piece golf of advice I, even myself like locally and at tournaments i'll be on a card and someone will be having a hard time and i'll say what, what's your best piece of advice i'm like we're all playing it like, yeah playing this hole you know so just yeah maybe change your game plan like yeah what you want to throw i said but just remember that no one there's nothing special here for anybody we're all playing it and so i've always tried to keep that mindset too but you're right it's hard you get sucked in and you get yeah yourself and yeah Something I'd like to try to tell myself and I try to tell other people is that you, you never know when the best shot of your life is sneaking up behind you. It could literally be the next shot. If you, the only way you can guarantee it won't be the next shot is by having a bad attitude. But if you, if you're locked in and you're committed to what you're doing, that could be the shot of your life, the very next one. But you have to give yourself an opportunity to make the shot. And the only way you can do that is with, you know, eyes open and head clear and, and committing to it, but you never know when it's going to be the one that you remember for the rest of your life. And you throw it through the oh, every tree and you hit the hole in one farther than you even thought you could throw. That's like certainly possible at any time if you allow it to be possible. That's Has your mental game and <clears throat> on course attitude, for want of a better word, matured as you have matured? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I never think I was all that bad, uh, you know, against the, the standard of, you know, everybody, all my peers, I think I've always been um, pretty composed, but certainly I've been, I'm more relaxed now. I remember a time uh, as a young professional, kind of before I was ever like a household name, uh, where it was like pretty hard for me to have my now wife, but then girlfriend, like watching me, I felt like I would like get a lot madder in this sort of like immature effort to like prove like, well, if I was, this is how good I am because I just missed that putt. I'm so mad. You can tell I'm amazing because nobody else would be this mad about missing a 40 footer. You know, it was like this sort of immature, like display of like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe this. You know? And then in hindsight, I'm like, I miss 40 footers most of the time. 
but like you have you she's watching you want to be like you know doing everything right and and winning the tournament by 20 and and you know just like being the greatest you know so there's things like that that i feel like have have drifted away um as i've as i've matured and as i've you know become more comfortable um just being myself and just being in the in the limelight a little bit or you know playing in front of people or crowds that used to make me nervous i remember the first time i played with ken climo it was like ken climo uh nate dawson avery jenkins and me and i think i was the back of the teapad the entire round it was like one of the worst rounds i ever played and it was just you know letting the moment become too big and that's that's like unavoidable honestly i think it's kind of just as unavoidable as absolutely exploding the first time you're about to win a big tournament it happens to everyone like you're coming down the you have nine holes to go and you're winning and you're young and you never won before you're probably going to get a triple bogey and it's going to really hurt but that's just how it tends to work and you've probably seen it lots being on commentary now but now that we're filming lead cards and chase cards and um just this weekend uh at north cove i can't think of his first name his last name's thompson he made oh yeah yeah hunter prodigy sponsored yeah is it hunter he's good he's very good and harper maybe i'm sorry something like that the poor kid like first time on lead card and just you you know you those aren't the shots he wants to throw but you see it so much right and it's, yep, it, it's an experience they blow up and they they just the pressure of cameras and knowing that but there's 15 20,000 people at home watching live and yeah yep that big yep. there's there's uh no substitute for that experience in my opinion there's no replicating that it's only the pain of having it happen it happened uh, pretty brutally to Ella Hansen in Waco. Yeah. Yes. And I remember walking over to her afterwards and just kind of saying like, as hard as it is in the moment, it's a rite of passage to go through that, you know, and the next time you are in that situation, it will be easier to execute and you, and, and, and stay, you know, come out on top, but it is, it's really hard. And I think, you know, all of us have, have gone through it. I, I remember the 2015 USDGC, I, I was touring with Paul McBeth the entire season. We had, were sharing the RV. He had won every major. He was having like the season of the millennium, you know, just like playing yeah. incredible. And uh, we got to the last round of the USDGC and I was ahead by three with 18 holes to go. And I was like, look, I guess you're not getting your grand slam this year, man. Like um, I'm going to be the one that stops you. And how funny is that? As we've been like touring partners and friends the whole time, <laughs> I'm going to stop you from getting the historical achievement. And he beat me by 14 in one round. And I got, uh, I think fourth, but wow. it, the rain, the rain came in and I was like, you know, three strokes ahead and like, yeah, okay, this is a huge opportunity. I'm, I'm leading a major, you know, final day. Yeah. And I just fully exploded. I think I still shot a thousand rate around, but I lost by 14. So that's hard to do. You got to have somebody playing really well and you got to be playing pretty poorly and have a really hard course. But, um, but yeah, luckily then that, you know, I was in the same situation, uh, two years later with three shot lead. And that time I was able to win, you know, so it's like learning from those kind of experiences. Uh, Absolutely. You, ha- you have to do it. Yeah. I know I heard someone, it might've been on commentary, uh, when Kristen sunk that putt to win in Waco and someone just said like, that is the experience of someone who's been there before that knows how to buckle down and be present. Yeah. And you know, it's, it honestly sucked for Ella and my heart broke. I think, I think the world cried with her in that moment. Cause you, you've 
been there more often than you've been in the winner's circle, I think, as someone watching from home. Yeah. But the, the comment about Kristen is so true. Like, eventually, you know how to be a champion You from learning exactly what happened to Ella, right? And the things that happened to you. And you, it's, it, it does, I don't want to say it hardens you because I don't think it does harden you. But it's experience, experience on the course, and well, and, and playing. I mean, for somebody like Kristen, in the yeah. the type of the type of form she's in, playing under high stakes that that is routine for yeah. her because she does it every week. Yeah. So it's like, how can you not become accustomed to to those situations? If you're a Macbeth or a Wysocki, like you've you did that putt last week too, you know, and the stakes feel a little different because sure, you make it, you win, you miss it you go to a playoff she's just like oh another it's a putt it's important but you know if we go to a playoff i'll probably win that you know it's like she's not she doesn't really need to be or it's she's going to have like a healthy amount of nerves the kind of nerves that help you execute yeah. where other people that are less experienced are going to have that tipping point where now nerves are you know some some amount of nerves is is necessary you know to be like okay Okay, I definitely care about what I'm doing. I'm I'm locked into this moment. I'm giving my all. I care about you know the result of this. Yeah. But once you tip over that and that kind of that cup overflows, that's when you start to like miss these shots that you never missed before. But yeah, great champions. Uh, that kind of thing is routine. I don't think I ever got to that level to be honest. Where at the at the elite series, I, even though I came through and won a couple times, I don't think it ever was where I'm coming down the last hole like you know oh sweet yeah you know I do this all the time. That's I was close maybe, but I I never was like a, you know, a perpetual contender at week yeah. in and week yeah. out like lead card every week. I had I've had some good stretches clearly. Um, I think I was ranked third in the world at a time, but it was a pretty distant third behind Macbeth and Wysocki. It was like a best of the rest award more than it was like a, you know, those guys were at that at that in that era. Those guys were very clear one and two. Do you? So as a relatively new player, even just playing with my friends on a you know Wednesday evening or whatever, when I get to the first tee, it's nerves, it's apprehension. What's this first shot? Is this first shot going to define? I mean, it doesn't define your round because you know yeah, I've gone on a bogey, triple bogey holes, and then come back. But playing, I mean, you've done it so many times to get up to the first tee of a tournament. Is there nerves or apprehension? Yes. When, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. First shot of every round. Uh, there's, some, but I would say like a healthy amount. Like I'm excited to get going. But honestly, it's a pretty uncomfortable time for me. Like the, like two hours before the round, I'm I'm just sort of like, <laughs> like come on, like come on, let me like like let's hurry up and like yeah. can we just move time forward and get get to this? Because obviously I'm you know I have a, a important something that's very important to me uh, is, you know, to be there and be competing and I'm away from my family, I'm doing my thing. And I, you know, so I really want to succeed in that moment. So that part is nerve wracking, but yeah, then once you throw that first shot, it kind of fades away mostly for me until if I'm, unless I'm lucky enough to be in contention, then it will come back, you know, and, and that's a great way to think about nerves late in a tournament is that they are earned, you know, you would, if you, if you were bad, you wouldn't be nervous. So it's like the nerves that you get, coming down the stretch when, when the shots matter are, yeah. that's a feeling that you earned. It's not comfortable. It's not exactly enjoyable, but it is earned. So it's something important to remember if you're ever in that situation, doesn't matter what level weekly doubles or intermediate or whatever, it's the same nerves. 
coming down the stretch. And it's something you got to remember that you're, you, it's your fault. Your practicing got you there. So even if it's uncomfortable in the moment, <laughs> you know, that's something that you, you, you were actually striving for, even though it, it feels pretty, uh, yeah. pretty tough when you're, or, when you're in the middle of it. Or your lack of practicing. Yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's, that's so valuable to hear. I think like for someone like Clive, who's only been playing two years and this explosion of players that went all in on disc golf, like I'm blown away as a tournament director um, the number of people that came to an A tier last year that had never played in a tournament before, like blew yeah. my mind. Yeah. But they go all in, right? They consume everything. Then and then they get these nerves and they're like, oh, I must, there must be one more level to disc golf I got to unlock because I'm nervous. Well, now they know that it, whether you're pro touring or you're an intermediate player at your first tournament, those nerves are the same. And I think that's important that they hear that. That's yeah. very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to think if, if you stop feeling nerves, it's probably time to hang up your discs and go find some other sport that you actually care about. Because yeah. if you, if you don't feel any nerves, I think you don't care what happens. Yeah. It's taken I, me two years to get of, of playing this new sport. So I've played a lot of other sports before of getting to a point where I care, but I don't care if that makes sense. So when I, when I, when I go out to a tournament now or some reading thing, it's like, okay, I know I'm not going to win. I'm honest. Like there are people in my division that are way better than me. Yeah. So, me too. Yeah. So I, so I look at it like, okay, I'm not going to win. My pressure is, can I shoot what I'm supposed to shoot or better? Yeah. Um, and then, but you know, I, I have that thing now, like you talked about 40 foot putts, 25 foot putt. I don't know what my percentage is, but the chances are that it's probably more that I miss than you know, depending <laughs> yeah, on the sure. conditions. So when sure. I miss a putt, it's like, well, that was expected. So just move on. You know, sure. if, I, if I don't hit the fairway, go out of bounds. Well, that's that's the kind of player I am. So I know where I'm at. So it's yeah. Um, but I but I'm so competitive with myself. That's yeah. Yeah. I think you know just some more tidbits that are coming to my my mind is that. You know, nerves, I think some people think nerves are the absence of confidence, and they aren't. Nerves are just that, like, pressure that you feel because the outcome is important to you. But that doesn't mean that you don't know in your heart that you're going to achieve the thing. You know, and that and and knowing doesn't mean you're going to do it either. But but yeah. knowing that you are, you know, you still might not. But knowing that you are, you know, in that confidence sense is fantastic. That's yeah. that's what you should strive for. And being able to feel that and feel nervous at the same time is it feels sort of like in opposition. But it's okay to have both of those things be true. Yeah. And then the other thing that I like to try to tell myself when I'm when I'm feeling that way is like, all I want to do is just throw a shot that I can be proud of. And whether it goes in or miss or whatever, it's like, I just want to commit to the power, throw it up high. Yeah. You know, maybe there's two things I'm trying to do on a given shot, like throw it hard, throw it over that tree. If I achieve those, it's like, I try to like grab little bits of confidence from that, even if it is out of bounds or, you yeah. know, or whatever. It's like, I, the two things I wanted to do, I did. And, yeah. you know, then it's like, okay, well, that's, that's a building block moving on to the next, you know, just try to, okay, now, so that shot wasn't great. Now, what, how can I make myself proud of this next shot? That kind of you answered my next question with that because I'm I'm trying to say okay I have this disc in my hand I know what the disc is supposed to do so when you get there and you're mid swing don't think no just play the shot and if you 
I mean, I've zipped so many shots and they've gone five feet offline and hit a tree, but I go, now I'm like, wow, that came out of the hand really well. Uh, yeah. So I, my question to you was, are there any times where you get that in, in your hand and you go, you, you, you trust, you, are there any times where you don't trust the disc? Yeah. And that, and that might be kind of a weird way of putting it, but you have the disc in your hand, you know what shot, and then you go, oh, maybe. Sure. It's, There's always times where you're like, well, would the blue one be better? You know, like <laughs> you're kind of like between yeah. between two discs and probably both could work perfectly. It's just going to be like one needs a little more hyzer than the other. One needs a little more height, yeah. whatever it is. You, you trust your practice to help you know when to make those adjustments. But yeah, absolutely. There's indecision at times where you're like, which disc is going to be the one. And then certainly when you're playing in really, really heavy wind, there's times where you're like, I just hope that this disc will hang on <laughs> when I throw it into, when I throw it into this wind and it's like, this is my only option and I hope it works. Yeah. Yeah. But that, those are the times that come to mind when it's like having, having a little bit of a second guessing of like which, which disc or which shot I'm going to throw generally really windy days or just like a shot that's kind of an, uh, everyone's got like sort of uncomfortable distances in their game where they're like, yeah, yeah if, I, if it was a little farther, I would know for sure what to do. If it was a little shorter, I would know for sure what to do. But in this kind of intermediate range, it's like, I'm not, that's not my strength. Yeah. So then you just kind of make, just sort of make your, I, 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 I tend to say, go with your gut and sort of like let that decision like come to rest and then step to the tee pad and be like, okay, well, this is it. And now we're just going to, you know, commit. Yeah, that's a, the word, commit. Once yes. you chosen, commit. The, the times I've taken the disc out and go, I don't want this to go right. I don't want this to go right, too far right. And then halfway through my swing, that's in my head. So yes. I don't fully yeah. follow through and then it goes left. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. So yeah, committing to the shot is is something that as a, a new player, I haven't quite mastered yet, I don't think. Committing to yeah. the shot. And I heard a pro say, and I... Forgive me, I don't know who it was, but once the disc leaves your hand, it's out of your control. So just commit to the shot and be okay with the process because sure. on you can't control that. Whether, like you said, it goes over the tree and you threw it hard, now it's OB. It is what it is. Now yeah. move, commit to the shot, trust the process. Yeah, yeah. I tend to think of the disc flight in two parts. I feel like it's my it's my physical job to get the disc to the apex that I want it to get to. So I, I tend to break it into like a halfway point. Like physically, I try to throw it to the highest point I'm going to throw it to. Yeah. Mentally, it's like, did I choose the disc that would react from that point forward in the way I expected? So it's like, you know, can I blame the physical or blame the mental? One of the two is, is, unless the shot's perfect, one of the two shoulders some blame. So either you threw it wrong or you chose the wrong, or you didn't, you didn't anticipate the effect of the wind or you didn't anticipate, you know, whatever it is. Awesome. That's, that's a great way to look at it. I like that. So to, to wrap up, and sometimes I send these questions out beforehand. We, we always ask our guests similar three or four questions. And um, I apologize, I didn't send it beforehand. I'm ready. So you're ready? Okay. <laughs> you're going out with your dream card. You're going out, could be a tournament, could be a park round. Who are, you, who are the three or four other people you'd like on a card with you? I'll take Paul Macbeth. Simon Lazat and Nate Doss. Oh, I please. like. And <laughs> why? Uh, they're all like phenomenal throwers. Obviously, Nate's retired at the at for for the time being and maybe forever, but yeah. you know, in his prime. And I think still now he's like I've played with him somewhat recently. The guy can still 
obviously throw great shots, but they're, they're all close enough friends, fantastic throwers. And like the perfect mix for me of like chatting and trash talking and phenomenal golf. That's like, those are the three things I care about is like <laughs> talking is trash and, and chatting about whatever and seeing people just do mind blowing things with the disc. So that's, those guys have always been really high on my list of people to play with because they are that way, you know, they'll joke around with you and you can, and I can go out oh, great shot, Paul, you know, like when he, if he throws a bad one and it's like not the final hole, obviously I'm not going to yeah. <laughs> kick him while he's down, but like, yeah. you know, we, we have a, we've had a relationship where, you know, being pretty close and touring together and playing together quite a bit where, you know, it's not, we're close enough that you can kind of be like, yeah, with that, like, what are you doing? You know, like that was not, that didn't look very good or whatever, just messing with each other a little bit and having a good time. But also seeing like 1100 level golf because those guys are unbelievable what they can do. I don't think people imagine Paul McBath, just how he holds himself professionally and what we see as fans as a good trash talker, but. Oh, he's, yeah, he is. I mean, it's like, he could say anything, you know, he's proven his, his, he's proven himself so many times. He's not necessarily going to like say the wittiest thing you ever heard, but, but he can just say like, you're worse than I thought you were. And it cuts pretty deep <laughs> you know, just from the place he's standing. If all he says is, wow, like, <laughs> like that was, that was really bad. And you're like, Oh, sorry, sir. You know, because he's like, yeah. you know, obviously awesome. proven himself so many times to be incredible. Yeah. So he doesn't, he has that advantage. He doesn't necessarily need to have the sharpest tracks talk because he can back it up through, yeah. through yeah. Uh, the, the 200 trophies that he's probably thrown away. And then the other hundred that he has still. That's awesome. My um my favorite thing is when a friend goes up to the tea box. Is uh, is are you sure you want to throw that disc on this hole? Oh yeah, that'll get them. <laughs> yeah, look at you. They look. Usually they do, and they vomit, but that's fine. Um, yeah. So so next question. Um, you're going out for a one disc round. You only allow one disc. You've got a putt with it. Do everything. What are you going to take? Oh, I mean, it's probably, you probably already know, but I'm, well, I'll say first, it will matter which course, but I think a good all-arounder for me would be the Sexton Firebird because I throw it backhand and forehand and I'm super comfortable with it. And though it doesn't go really, really far. So if you put me on like Jonesboro course, I'll probably just take a destroyer and do my, try my best, you know, because it's every hole is going to be so far, but normal park course, Sexton Firebird for sure. Because I could shape it forehand, shape it backhand. I'd take like a, halfway beat up one and uh yeah i'm not worried about the putts i'm gonna be parked so often and the putting's not gonna be a big <laughs> big issue drive and drop <laughs> yeah so um just it was there a favorite year for the firebird for you 15 or or what? oh you're saying which one do i like Wait, the which best one yeah was there oh, yeah. Specific, yeah 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 it's the 2015 and uh that's the that's the first one and i sort of think it isn't that it flies different. It's just that it was first and it had my name on it. So obviously I got to figure out how to use this thing. <laughs> and firebirds don't get old in one year. So like I had my 2015s. I first, I wasn't super comfortable with them. It was a new type of disc. You know, it, it was designed to my specifications, but it was different than what I had been throwing. Uh, the firebirds I had been throwing my whole career to that point. So then I got them, learned them. 
And then it's like in the blink of an eye, it's 2016 and there's new ones. And I'm like, oh, well, yeah, I'll try them. But like, these are my babies over here, the 15s, you know, that I've been using. And they last like, if you don't throw them in a pond, they're going to last five years easy and still have like, uh, and still have utility for you. So uh, it's the 15 and yeah, it, and I, I just kind of, I just kind of push back against the idea that it flies better than the current ones. I still will take, I had a 22 in my bag last year. Uh, it's just that like, I don't have the incentive or desire to like ship out my trusted friends and yep. start new every year, you know, like, you and be like, okay, bag in 2015? oh yeah, I have three, nice, three in the bag right now. Nice. Yeah. So I think I've probably had three in the bag at all times since 2015, um, you know, rotating in and out, but yeah. no, I always, I always have them. And, um, yeah. There's been times where, yeah, they get ridiculously valuable and I have to kind of go, no, <laughs> just ignore it and throw it anyway, you know. Um, and the, la the last question is a two-parter. And okay. do you have a favorite disc golf course and do you have a bucket list disc golf course? My favorite disc golf course is Whistler's Bend in Southern yes. Oregon. I give that one for a couple of reasons. Uh, for one, it's probably the most beautiful course I've played. It's probably the course that I've played more tournaments at than any other because I used to go there every year a couple times <clears throat> as a kid and as a young adult uh, to play doubles. My brother and I, I think are eight-time champions of the big doubles tournament there. It's got the river that you can float around on your raft. It's, it's like 27 holes now. Um, and not that many people know about it. So not people can't argue with me very easy when I say it's my favorite. So I don't oh, pick a tour course for, for that, for that reason. My favorite. I, I love it. And no, <clears throat> so you get to unplug while you're down there. Yes. That's really nice about it. It's very yes. out there and you just kind of, yeah, just experiencing the place and camping out with people. So yeah, that's, yeah. that, that one's great. As far as bucket list, let me think. Um, I, I've had like this kind of long running joke, uh, about the Idlewild event in Kentucky where I it just never really like fit into my schedule because it was always like right after or right before Europe and uh and then I started seeing some people being like oh yeah Nate's not coming I think he's scared to play Idlewild and I could I knew that obviously they <laughs> they're hoping that I'm going to react to that in a way like no I'm not I'll be there but then I just kind of leaned into it and now I've, for a couple of years I've been going I'm too scared to go there I'm too scared to even see it I don't ever want but I actually do want to go there someday. So that would be fun. And uh, I'll put that one up there high on my list because I've heard it's fun. I've seen the video. I've done the commentary. It looks like a course that's really well taken care of and has a, a really, uh, you know, strong club. And, and it, it just looks fun. And then uh, I also, there's one in like Southern Sweden called like Ale Disc Golf Center that I think like fell out, like changed hands recently and is like being revived. I heard it was amazing. And it got like uh, kind of overgrown and abandoned for a little while. And now maybe they're bringing it back. So that's one that I, I would put up there. And uh, yeah, that, that's, that's probably pretty close. Maybe, maybe some, something in Norway, hopefully this year. We'll see. Sweet. Cool. Is there anybody you'd like to give a shout out to, or you want to tell people where they can find more about Nate Sexton? Uh, no, not really. Um, they, they, they can, you can easily find me on social media if you'd like, and yeah, that's, I'm, I'm not great at it, but I do try sometimes. 
but yeah, you find me at a tournament, find me on social media and uh, yeah, appreciate people listening. I appreciate you guys having me on the show. Absolutely. And hopefully we'll get you to Calips again one day. Yeah, I would like to, especially if Thomas thinks he's going to get an easy win. That's the perfect time for me to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's in two weeks. So yeah, that might be tough. That's like yeah. my birth, my birthday's May 4th. I think we're going to the beach. Okay. Yeah. I think we're well, planning to go to the beach that weekend, but we'll sometime I would again. like to. Yeah, I would like to send, send me, send me the dates for 2024. I'll see if I can do it. Sweet. We'd love that. Yeah, it'd be great to have you up here. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for giving up your Monday morning. Uh, sure. No problem. And uh, hope the rest of your day goes well. The rest of your season goes well. And um, yeah, we'll be following you. Yeah. And cheering yeah. for you as you play. Sweet. I'll, let's play some board games when I get up there. It looks like you got a good collection. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, uh, I think, 700 records and about 250, 300 board games behind me. Yeah, I, I'm into that. I'm into cool. that. Sweet. Cool. It's a deal. We'll see you in 2024, hopefully. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, All right. Nate. Take Thanks, care. Nate. See you guys. Yeah. So, Kerry, you've met um, Nate before. Yes. And when he came to Kamloops, um, I thought it was a really good chat. He chatted about his life of disc golf. And the thing that I got most out of it were those little tidbits he gave us at the end. And I think very valuable for amateur players and beginner players. And a, a couple of them that, that stuck with me are, you know, when you play that bad shot and it's like, oh, anger, and you just get up there and what am I going to do? I'm going to try and play another amazing shot and you just throw it into another tree, you know. Yep. The, the phrasing is like, you never know that the best shot of your life may be the one that's right behind you, the next shot you're going to play. That's right. Uh, and I think that that's very, you know, when you, when you have that moment where you play a bad shot, it goes out of bounds and you're disappointed. There's the opportunity that if you just settle yourself, play that shot, the next shot's just going to be one of the best shots you've ever played and instead of letting Nate, the emotions. Yeah. And if you watch Nate play, you know that he lives by that because mm. he doesn't get overly angry. He doesn't get overly aggressive. He's very steady. And while well, he's stayed above the cash line for how many years? <laughs> well, I was just looking that up. So, and I'm going to pull it up on my phone because my phone just um, died on there, but I had that up. I think he said the, January 2008 was the last time yeah. he missed cash. I, I don't know the cash streak right now. This was not in this last weekend. He just uh, finished 26th. So he made yep. the cash again. Yep. So not this was bit just before the weekend. This is on Statmando. Nate Sexton, 118 game cash streak. 118 games, yeah. Because he was he was on the Nick and Matt show, and he figured that the last time he missed cash, I believe it was January of 2008. I think he said. Yeah. I could be wrong, and it was at a C tier, and yeah. uh, he figured he was in the. 200s, I think he said on our podcast. Yeah. But this is just what Stat Mando is putting out. And I don't know whether this is particular. Oh, this is um, last list cash streaks in standard elite series and major events. Okay. So, those, so that, that doesn't include C tiers and B no. tiers. And, yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah. that's still incredible. 117. Totally. The next person is Joel Freeman at 54. The one that sticks out to me is Ganon Buer. Yeah. Th 35. And yep. he's what, 18? 
I think he didn't he did he just turn 18? Yeah, I think so. yeah, he was, you know, um, so I mean, like he's just a, just over a quarter of a way there. Yeah. And, and he has a potential, um, oh. not, not necessarily to beat the 220, 50, whatever, but the, this 117. But you, you never know. Um, guess how many Paul Macbeth has his cash streak on stand elite series on major events? Um, oh, geez, his cash streak? Yeah. I don't know, 35? 18. 18. Okay. What, I mean, that shows you how pretty phenomenal that that is for Nate to do 117 in the in the cash. It is. And for people that aren't familiar, though, back when Nate was playing in his like early 20s, there wasn't as many elite and majors. And we had like NTs, like the national tour. And we had uh, super tours, which were like pumped up A tiers and stuff like that. So Nate was playing a lot, a lot of those, but now with the way the majors and the silvers are set out and the elites, there's not a lot of room for the pros to hit up. And I don't think at the level they are now, they don't really want to hit up B tiers or C tiers. Yeah. So was it for, so what, for what Gannon has done at his age, that's pretty cool too. Right. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, the second thing that I really um, took away from the chat with Nate is how he looks at his shot and his two-parter. So the first part being the physical, did I hit the line? You know, did I throw the disc correctly? Yeah. And then when it reaches that kind of apex, he calls it. Then if I hit that line, what does the disc do? Did I read the wind correctly? Uh, did I choose the wrong disc because it went too far left or, you know, turned over too much? So yeah. I've, been, I've been using that. Um, you know, because sometimes that disc will rocket out of my hand and I go, that's a great shot, but it isn't. Well, well I've done something wrong with the swing because it's gone. I haven't hit the line, yeah. but I'm quite happy that I've committed to the shot. And then, you know, you play that, you hit that line and it turns over, but it doesn't turn over enough. So I'm, I'm trying to use that feedback. I really enjoyed his, you know, the way he breaks it down into two parts. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, it's, you know, it's something that people learning to play golf should think about because Nate's been around a long time and he's played with a lot of different, the technology has changed through his career in discs and in plastic. And, you know, people think, oh, I got to get this disc now because it's newer plastic or it's better or it's, you know, and it's not about the plastic, right? It's, it's, it's the archer, not the arrows. So you need to, the, the mental part, the physical and the mental part. And I, and I love how you think about that, right? You know, you know what a destroyer should do, or you know what um, a tersus from West Side should do, right? Like flight numbers are, are yeah. um, just a guide, but you know what it should do if it's thrown properly with the right snap. So yeah, if it's not doing what it should, it's, it's the archer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. It's all, all the archer just selecting the wrong arrow. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So good, good analogy. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed the chat. You know, we've had so many great chats as always will always stick in just because her, of her um, love of the sport. Not that everybody doesn't love the sport, but it just comes through Jen's because it was so raw and emotional. And I've spoken to many people about 
how they probably couldn't even get through that last part of the story. You know, we were parked uh, in the Rogers Pass on our way to uh, Alberta, and we were listening to the podcast. And Craig said he's glad he wasn't driving because he was teared up too, like having yeah. just lost his dad two years ago, and knowing the the emotions that Jen's going through. It was it was hard to listen to, and even yeah. just for me, my the second time listening to it, it was hard to listen to. It's those emotions yeah. are, um, yeah, they're right yeah. there. And and this one as well, I really enjoyed how Nate was just open about you know, touring with the family, just being, just chatting about the tour and his life and his family. Yeah. And then especially that end part where he just, I mean, there, I've got so many notes in front of me about those little tidbits of information that he gives that I think that if you're a pro, if you're a starter, just listening, you know, to that last part of the podcast. And if you take them in, they're going to help you game. Oh, for sure. For sure. And he is really, he is like, you know, I say about everybody when they're on the show and they, that truly is who they are. Um, Nate is really that easy to talk to, like super easy, easy going, you know, he doesn't, not much ruffles him, ruffles his feathers or upsets him and talking yeah. to him as a, as a fan and listening to him speak there, it's, he's really that genuine. Yeah. He's a cool guy. And I hope he comes up. We'll have to make sure we remind him about May 2024. Yes. Most of the time. Yes. Get him to come up. And um, yeah, hopefully Thomas will beat him by one stroke because he's Canadian. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll be back in two weeks, um, probably with someone we've had on the show before, taking us a tour of Tokyo, but that'll... Um, but we've got a couple of other guests lined up and um, yeah, we'll, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Kerry. Sounds good.